Hello and welcome to yet another Fringe edition of Exit the Stage Door. I am your host, Aaron Teachman, and this morning, <laughs> super early in the morning on Saturday, we've got Poe times two. Well, really, okay, so what we have is the creative team of Poe times two, Greg Oliver Bodine and Delisa White. Uh, Greg is the author and star, and Delisa is his longtime uh, collaborator and director. And we got together at Plan B, which is still the worst name ever for a bar, uh, slash restaurant, burgers, beer, and we talked about the show, and um, which they've been doing for a long time. And I, I got really excited about it, and they have this amazing sherry cocktail happy hour event uh, on july 13th at eat the ridge it should have been at mockingbird hill but things it's at eat the ridge it's nearby you should definitely check it out and you should definitely check this out it's uh an oh yeah that's right i recorded it at a bar <laughs> so uh i didn't have the fancy microphones i just had the iphone and the pocket microphone so uh the audio quality is a little different than you're used to but it's still an amazing conversation, and they're incredible people, and I hope you can find, I hope I can find time to get, to see the show, I hope you can find time to see the show, and everybody will be happy if you do, because it sounds really cool, and they are very cool themselves, so please check out Poe Times 2, it opens today, July 9th, it's at Chaos on F, and uh, you should go to Capital Fringe org and and the usual sources for your tickets and scheduling needs and check it out and now please check this out this is this is different everything about this is different normally i have the fancy microphones and the computer and it feels very naked not this to is have cool. that like yeah people people can be involved in that conversation like they're sitting with us at the bar yeah yeah it'll be, it'll be interesting we'll see what it sounds like so the prelude to our happy hour on uh, July 13th. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's a teaser. There you go. Pulling it all together. That's awesome. So you're so. What is what is the genesis of the show? Which is it has a long and storied history. Poe times two. Poe times two. Poe times two. Poe times two, which is basically back-to-back uh, -back solo performances. Of the cast of Amontillado and the Black Cat. Yeah, I'll be right back. Um, so I guess, uh, I guess the genesis. I mean, do you, do you, in terms of uh, what was my inspiration for yeah, adapting these, are, these two short stories? Say, these are not one-act plays to start with. Um, Somebody had to make them. I was actually uh, in 2006. I was actually up in Westfield, Massachusetts. Uh, I've been uh, I've been hired to perform uh, a one-man uh, adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. And um, so I was um, uh, we were at a restaurant like this having having beers, and uh, one of the sponsors said, "Well, uh, you know what? What, what you know, we um, Halloween Halloween is usually pretty pretty big event around here. What uh, do you have anything else in your uh, in your repertoire?" I said. Um, not at the moment, but <laughs> I could, and uh, um, I've always loved uh, Poe's stories, and so um, so that was what, I guess mid-December 2006, so I, I went home, and um, um, I had an idea of, of which, 
I pretty much had it narrowed down to five or six stories, and uh, I came up with the cast of Amontillado and the Black Cat. Um, uh, well, I guess, why those ones? Well, because <laughs> I don't think I know the answer to that question. As a director, I probably should have asked, but I I, 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 I love the, the, the commonality of, uh, uh, not to, to give too many spoilers away here, of, um, of people being walled up. And so, uh, actually, when I first started doing it, it was called A Poe Times Two, Twin Tales of Mystery, Murder, and Mortar. And uh, so that's how we sort of build the show, and that was that was the that was the play's tag. And um, I brought uh, Delisa on board in 2007, uh, first as a dramaturg, and then full time okay. as a director. Right. She's been with it ever since. And I've been playing to schools, libraries, historic hotels, theaters. In Baltimore, did you? Historic hotels in Baltimore. Have you done it in Baltimore? I guess. Nothing in Baltimore. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's a shame. I know the Poe is pretty well covered in Baltimore, so he gets a lot of coverage. So I thought I would start at the Northeast and then maybe work my way south. And here I am in Washington, D.C. So. There you go. So you've been doing the show for a while. Since 2007. That's awesome. What, uh, what made you choose to apply for a free slot? To, to apply for the fringe slot? Well, um, I was in I was in Washington D.C. last summer, Fourth uh, of July. I had uh, invited uh, our stage manager, Laura Schlockmeyer, uh, to uh, my mom's house in Alexandria. She at that point was already committed to a friend show. Um, along the way, I was down here for a couple of weeks in July. Along the way, they lost one of their actors. I was in town. She um, she asked if I might be interested in filling in for the actor that they lost. So uh, it was a show called uh, Cold as Death, uh, put on by Guillotine Theatre Company, directed by Catherine Aiselford. And uh, so I did the very last performance of Cold as Death at uh, uh, Gallaudet University oh, yeah. at the Eastman uh -huh. yep. Studio and went back to New York the next day. And <laughs> it was a great experience. It was my first introduction to Fringe. Yeah. Um, I, I was able to meet um, Catherine Aiselford, uh, Artistic Director of Guillotine, who, as it turns out, uh, this year is my co-producer uh, co on, to on, on Ho Times 2. So technically this is being co-produced by uh, Guillotine Theatre. And we have a long history with Laura Schlockmeyer, who is who moved to uh, DC, I think, two to three years ago. It may have been three years. Um, and we've worked with her in several capacities for a long time, and we're a part of the tight-knit New York indie theater community. And when she moved down here, we got regular updates. We would come visit um, Greg has relatives in the area, and so she's kind of been a, a really great conduit for us to get involved in, in the DC theater scene and to, to care about it, and we feel very fortunate to participate in it. Very much so, yeah, yeah, totally agree. That's fantastic. I, yeah, we were just talking about, with uh, my last podcast, how the weird ways that theater, like, is such a small world, and sort of like, and really, I started the, I started the podcast because I was so interested in other people's careers and the way that their lives have intertwined because my career is so completely accidental. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that's great. What a, 
So I guess my next question for everyone who's producing infringes, are you going to do it again? Um, I, I don't know. I, that, that's, that's a very good question. Uh, a lot of it, um, you know, what, one of the reasons why I decided to partner with Guillotine Theatre, uh, technically it's uh, Guillotine Theatre Productions. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Right. Um, Guillotine Theatre Productions is an offshoot of Guillotine Theatre, uh, which was created by um, Catherine and myself for the sole purpose of uh, being able to um, produce in the French Festival. But uh, yeah, I guess that depends a, a lot on uh, you know on sort of yeah how it, how it goes and uh, you know this is uh, really the first opportunity for me as a co-producer to kind of get my feet wet um, and I must say uh, being able to partner with her uh, has been wonderful. Um, um, she's done I I don't know how many French shows. Um, she's well established in the you know the DC theater community. Um, it just made sense to um, uh, as sort of a newbie, you know, to partner with her and to uh, uh, be able to reach out to all of her uh, subscribers at Guillotine and to be able to work with Laura Schlockmeyer again. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a real treat for for us. It to, really is. It really you know, is. And, and to really have a sense of, you know, a, in a in a large sense, theater is a, a is an extremely large extended family. There are people in every city that know someone that you've worked with in some other town that you've been involved with, and there are people I know from New York that were involved in the theater scene when I lived in Pittsburgh, and we didn't know each other there, but we know each other now, and, um, you know, it's it's kind of a beautiful thing when uh, the community transcends city boundaries and gives us a chance to travel and see new things, and, you know, I've, I've only seen one or two things in the fringe in the past. This will be this year hopefully we'll get a chance to see some more things and and see what might be a good fit for the audiences here. Mm, yeah. Um. That said, uh, we, uh, uh, Catherine and I sort of tested the waters. Uh, she, um, she was the executive director at the Northern Virginia Arts Association in Alexandria, and uh, she hosted a performance of, one, of my one-man Christmas carol there in December. It went really well. And uh, she's also a huge Edgar Allan Poe fan. <laughs> and when she found out that, um, that I had adapted these stories, she said, you know, let's, let's, let's put this on. Uh, absolutely. And uh, at that point, then it was just a, a matter of uh, seeing what Delisa's availability was. <laughs> and and I'm always happy for an excuse to travel. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I just um, I just had that first experience of being able to travel for it as well. Because I went, I do um, projection work um, at the moment. It's mostly sign system stuff like that. Um, and I used to work the alley, and they had a need, so they're like, oh, and also it's a co-pro at Dallas Theater Center, so we're going to remount it there, so that's travel to Houston, to do all the way, actually. One of the perks is to be able to travel. Yeah. yeah. I, it's a next week I'm flying to Wyoming to give a master class in Rock Springs, because they need more directors, so... Um, yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's really cool. I've never been to Wyoming, so it's a real it's a good excuse to go. Yeah, absolutely. It's for the Actors Mission Theater there. Yeah. Uh, so you lived in Pittsburgh? 
I did. I lived in Pittsburgh for about 10 years when I graduated from college, and then I moved to New York. Where did you live in Pittsburgh? Um, I started out in Shadyside, and then I moved to Squirrel Hill, and uh, look, we have food. And um, and then I lived in Dormont, and then I moved to New York. Okay. I, I went to school at UPIC for... Yeah. I got my third degree there. It's um, a great school. Yeah. It's uh, a great school. And uh, I, I was there for filmmaking, but I ended up actually spending more time in theater. Um, so yeah, I'm a theater It's a good theater there. town, it really is. Yeah, and I was impressed. There's two Lord Theaters there, and Quantum was founded there. And uh, Carnegie Mellon obviously is doing crazy things. And Point Park has an amazing oh, Point Park has it. Yeah, has it. Well, we just got our food. So, um, is there anything else? This was a. This is the quickest. Well, I'm sure we'll pick something up as as the conversation goes. I feel like there might be a lot. We or we can keep recording. I don't know. It's entirely up to you. We can take a break, or people can. You can keep asking us questions and. We'll pipe in as we. All right, all right. This is, this is like I said. This is this is bringing new territory all the time this week. <laughs> all kinds of things I've never done before with the podcast, which is great. Um, yeah, no, because like I said, part of part of what what ends up happening on this show is that I'm I want I'm interested in how people ended up doing what they're doing in theater, and almost everybody that I know is. Has, has to do many things, not just the, the one thing that they really want, but also other things as well. So that's why I have it here. And of course, I love Pittsburgh Connections. It's an underrated theater town for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Sort of a, I have a friend um, who um, he's able to make his living as an actor, and he's able to, um, as far as I know, he doesn't have a, like a day job or a temp shop. That's he's, awesome, yeah. He's a uh, um, very, very well established in the Pittsburgh uh, theater community. So, so, so I, I talked to a director earlier today. So, this that that the, the difficulties of that career path are have been on my mind in the last couple of hours. So, I'm curious about what did, did you go to school for directing or sort of? I I mean, there very rarely are study programs for directors. I decided at an absurdly young age that I wanted to be a director. I didn't want to be a big star. I didn't start out in acting and flip to it. Um, I decided about 13 I wanted to like direct movies and theaters. I'd been in the school play, and the director had the coolest job, it seems. Um, so I went to a performing arts high school in northern Michigan called Interlaken. Oh, yeah. I'm from Michigan. And yeah, I went to study theater there, and which I thought would be a great, the greatest background. It's a great school. Too. And it, it is. It's a really school, good school academically, musically. Um, it had a great theater program. I, um, you know, I spent a lot of time learning performance stuff, but that's helped me immeasurably communicate with actors and empathize with their process and experience. So while I didn't take directing classes there, I learned so much right. from the experience that, you know, it was applicable. And then I went to film school for um, for college at Penn State, of all places. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I moved to Pittsburgh. And um, it's, it's something I think, I think good directors who are committed to directing and not, like, 
directing themselves in something or whatever. It seems fairly rare to me, and I very often introduce myself that way to a new cast, is to say, I actually love directing. I actually am here because I wanted to do that. And I love acting, and I love supporting the acting process. So um, it's, it continues to be one of the great joys of my life. So, yeah. yeah. And I would say that's... that's that's really why I love working with you, because she under she understands what the actor's process is, and um, I feel like we have a. a I mean, we've, we've done a number of shows together. We practically finish each other's sentences. <laughs> we walk. We work together so often, um, but um, it's um, it's been great. Um, Delisa speaks an actor's language. And you don't necessarily find that in every director that you work with. Some directors are, you know, um, for various reasons, are more are we interested. Doing everything? Yes, thank you. Some directors are more in, interested in, in painting pictures mm -hmm. and, um, and, and um, emphasizing spectacles. Which is nice, but the, the play's the thing, and the actors are the thing that brings it alive. So. You know, and that's why you have your designer collaborators as well, so that in terms of spectacle, you, you, you surround yourself with the hands that will yeah. serve the goal of the play that you're trying to find. Absolutely, and, it, and so. the, the designers that we've worked with and the, you know we prefer to work with are, are ones that really care about the necessary question of the play, mm -hmm. and not like, look, I can make this swivel thing that's going to stop the play cold because we're going to have to watch them spin it around. Like, that's a great idea, but if you can't execute it right and it's not going to serve the play, then we're not going to do it. It turns out recently somebody did do a big swivel wall thing for me, and it worked beautifully. But <laughs> I think it did too, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, well, you know... And not just because I was the person turning the, the, the swivel screen. So. <laughs> but, yeah, it's... I, I think if you are interested in painting pictures, you should be a painter. If you're interested in the sound of your own voice, then write a novel. Theater is a collaborative experience for the purposes of bringing the play to the fore. Um, you know, if, if you want to be self-indulgent, you can move a little bit toward the film and, you know, and be a little more authoritarian there. Although nobody does their best work when they're being yelled at. So... If you know your stuff and you're smart and you care about things, you get to collaborate repeatedly with really, really talented people like Greg and like Laura Schlockmeyer and, and Catherine and Richard and all these people. So, yeah. But I can also speak to, um, as, the, as, the, as the adapter of these two stories um, and as a, a, a playwright who frequently performs his own work, um, you know, Lisa also has a wonderful way with writers as well. In mm. um, you know, uh, and not just plays that I've been involved in, but uh, other productions that I've seen. Um, like just breaking it down, building it up from the from, you know, from the ground up, and um, just really being interested in the process of collaborating mm -hmm. um, with a writer to see that their their vision is is realized. It's really. Cool. Well, I think one of the benefits of really working, I mean, I think everything but one production that I've done since I moved to New York was an original piece. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and 
so that's that's been a real treat whereas almost everything I did in Pittsburgh was a revival of something else so one of the things that's been really exciting about learning about the DC community is how much original work is being done mm -hmm. and how appreciated that is by audiences and by supported by the community and look everything we understand about the human condition we understand through the telling of stories if we don't tell stories we don't understand ourselves so yeah, it's, an, it's an interesting mix in DC uh, obviously there's Shakespeare Theatre Company but there's also Folger Shakespeare Theatre um, Synetic regularly produces Shakespeare's in, in very interpretive ways that it's a dance company and they tell it visually um, avant-garde. Uh, so there's there's clear interest in classical theater here, but also the other really vibrant part of the scene. And I just worked on a show there yesterday uh, at Woolly Mammoth, which is dedicated to the promotion of new work. The National New Play Network is, has its offices in Woolly Mammoth, and they have that dedication to the rolling premieres and to to not just doing the new work once, but making sure that a work gets a, gets a chance to find itself, figure itself out over the course of three productions. And you have uh, Forum and Roundhouse and all these places. Many of the smaller ones are dedicated to to. They sound very work. supportive from a development. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is a, definitely a great town for, for new work. Well, we're very, very happy to be here. Well, we haven't talked about. <laughs> I asked you at entirely the wrong time <laughs> about your career. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> Um, look, you know. <laughs> I can cover with patter if you need. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, um, what would you like to know? Well, I'm curious. Uh, so, one of the things that they, one of the things that I struggled with when I was trying, I tried to try to become a director in, in a really insane, stupid way. Um, in the middle of my career, trying to shift to being lighting, in lighting as a technician. Um, that was only ever to, about paying, paying the bills, and I always wanted to direct. That was what I wanted to do, but I, I did it in a weird path, and, and you get all of this great advice these days, though, about, like, you don't need to wait for someone's permission to, to do the thing you're doing, but theater as a collaborative thing often does require at least three or four other people's permission this is true, yeah. to do it, yeah. but if you write a play that you also perform in, that it seems like you you have figured out a way to to have fewer people permission that that you need to look for. Or well, this is true. Uh, you know, I don't I don't need to. Uh, uh, and, and that that cuts cuts both ways. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I can I can cut you know I can cut a couple of lines that aren't working without offending the actor. Yeah. If the actor is me. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, um, writing for yourself certainly has its advantages. Uh, the one thing I've never done and will never do is uh, direct myself mm -hmm. in something that I've also written. I just feel like um, an actor, uh, and especially an actor who's writing for himself, really, um, they, they, they need another person's perspective. They, they, need, they need a director. Right. Um, to just look at the piece, offer feedback um, that you're not necessarily going to get from yourself. Yeah. Unless you're, you're having this raging argument about you know what to keep or what to cut. 
so forth and so on. And um, and, and directing is a hard job, and I, I would <laughs> it's it's much harder. I, would, I, I I directed a classmate uh, from graduate school in a one-person show that he did years ago, and I, I think it went very well, but it was just way too much work. So um, no, directing is not. But I feel I not, feel not conversely really about that. Like to me, directing is is easy. It's the most natural thing in the world to do. It just it just means that you probably take less breaks because you always have to fill the breaks with questions and you know connecting with people. But the the physical attention, the mental attention, the memorization, the vulnerability of putting yourself out there and being commented upon on every level. Um, actors have a resilience and a nobility that I truly admire and particularly this one who's a thousand percent at everything that they do like I think if you tried to add directing to that I, I think we'd have to my brain would explode yeah or, or we'd have to you know put you in the hospital for exhaustion like before we got to tech week it's it's there's there's a lot of dedication there there may be some actors who sail in and do things at the last minute but not this one. No. The directing hat is certainly one that I'm happy to let you wear. Um, <laughs> you know, as I said, we've been doing this for so long. Um, I, I, I just, I trust Lisa in, implicitly. I mean, it's uh, like I mentioned before. I mean, I half jokingly said that we, you know, we finish each other's sentences, but it actually has happened. <laughs> Um, There's a shorthand that develops between people yeah, who absolutely. work together There's well and care about I each totally other. Agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think too, for me, I get I get really spoiled directing Greg because I just first of all he comes in 95% finished because he does his homework and he works really hard and he's mostly memorized and he's done all kinds of work and then I give a note it's incorporated beautifully and immediately. Um, you know, I, I don't have to build a performance. I don't have to guide him through a huge process. I just get to come in and like tweak, and he executes it so brilliantly, and it makes me look really good, and it's fun. Which, um, I mean, it partly it was that was a very big factor um, to get back to the subject of you know um, why this piece in the fringe this year. <coughs> Um, because of the fact that Delisa and I have been working on this piece for so long, since 2007 together, and we've toured it together, and we've revisited the text, and I think I'm still finding new stuff in rehearsals, thanks to her. Um, without, um, without all of that uh, under my belt, so to speak, um, I, I don't think I would. I, w I don't think I would have attempted doing, for example, a, a new one-person show. In fact, we are actually in the process of collab collaborating on a, a new one-person show that I'm writing, um, which hopefully will be ready in the fall. It's a uh, one-man adaptation of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but it will, trust me, it will get lots of development before yes. <laughs> we, you know, we, we, um, we start charging people tickets yeah. for it. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> But no, the fact of the matter uh, is, uh, I don't think I would have picked this play mm -hmm. to do in really any kind of French festival uh, without being so intimately familiar with it, and without having Delisa uh, so intimately familiar with the material as well. So. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of what happens at Cat Fringe is Cat Fringe becomes a reason to produce new work. 
but but you're absolutely right. Like uh, a play doesn't necessarily understand itself, and playwrights and don't even don't don't fully grasp the possibilities of the production of, of production until you set those resources in motion, you get those collaborators around you. Yeah. So the first production of, of, a, of a new work should never be the sum total of your judgment on it because it can live and breathe so much more once you sit with it and have time with it. So ha having something that you can be confident of while also discovering still is, 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 is a model I think is actually perfect for yeah. something something so quick as fringe you get. Right. You get almost no time to tech, you get literally no time to load in, well not literally, 15 minutes, which feels like no time at all, <laughs> and get in and get out. And if you have all of the kinks worked out already, then you can let the, now you're very confident in play being its proper self in front of these audiences. But I also think other actors, not all of them, but there are some actors who will go on a kind of automatic pilot with a show. One that they're very familiar with and have done over and over again. He's a thousand percent guy. So it's got to be fresh, it's got to be real. And the with something like this, I can sit back, see if I'm seeing new things or making new connections. Because it's I'm really a proxy for the audience. And then it's just a matter of sort of shaping and clarifying that together. And and so I think he found so, like, as I was watching, and I was like, oh, there's this element we haven't explored. Let's try it, and you find new things. And it's very easy to think that, like, if you're watching a Broadway show or whatever that is going on for a year or, or, or something, that it would get stale and dry. But this kind of an actor doesn't do that. They find new things, and you get the opportunity to check in with that development and, and explore it in new ways. And... With a text this rich, and one of the things that's fun about him as a writer is whatever he adapts in order to, and it's, you've done Lovecraft, and, and we've done um, F. Marion Crawford, and um, Yellow Wallpaper, and stuff like that. It, you know, this is florid period language, yeah, yeah. and his additions are so are interwoven so well that I, I literally forget what's new and what's in the original story. And sometimes I'll hear the original story in some other context and think, oh, well, that's not correct. <laughs> they've, made, they've made a mistake. It fits in really well. And because that source material, if you're going to adapt something, make it something really worth adapting. Yeah. Yep. And he picks the right ones for a theater. And, um, that text is so rich and those characters are so rich that it's it's also a tribute to Poe to continue to find new depths to it. Um, I think he would have been very interested to come to contemporary life and look at these characters in the lens of what we've come to understand about human behavior through scientific study. So, well, that I mean, this this sounds like an amazing project that people should definitely see. And it's I, super fun and spooky. Greg is a really nice guy, but you're gonna doubt that after you see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I that should be on the poster, right? <laughs> spooky guy, but dot dot dot. <laughs> so you have this happy hour on July 13th. At Eat the Rich. Mm -hmm. Correct. This is a, this is an awesome event, by the way. If you're a fan of Sherry, you should go there. The, Eat the Rich is a great place. This is, sounds like an amazingly perfect event. Do you have it? Are you, are there any others? 
before I think I feel like we've rolled into like the plugging your show. You, I I am excited about it. I would love to see it. So we should talk to the people about how to do that. This I, I this is going to be our uh, uh, Eat the Rich was um, generous enough to sponsor us mm-hmm. for this one performance. Um, they're doing an, uh, a Amontillado infused and inspired cocktails, um, um, which is which is really terrific. Um, I'm uh, we're, we're both planning. Well, I'm you'll, you'll be back in Europe, but I'm planning to be there um, from. I would to love to be there. The I'm so upset I can't. <laughs> I have to fly to Wyoming. <laughs> right. <laughs> I won't be able to have a cocktail during happy hour if I want to actually you know perform because uh, the show's at eight fifteen. But. Um, um, I'm, I, I will be there. Uh, I have uh, friends and family coming. Uh, it'd be great to, to, to see people come out for the uh, happy hour and then come to the performance. So, uh, Absolutely. Keep it going. And you, you, we talked about it earlier, right? You're on Chaos on F. We are at, our venue is Chaos on F, which is 923. F Street, F is in Frank, Northwest, <laughs> and I don't Very know, important. and and I don't know what the zip code is, but uh, it's. Um, I realized that it was actually fairly close to the Spy Museum, uh, yes, just is. down the street. Oh, one of my one of my favorite museums. It's between the Spy Museum and the only the only museum in Washington D.C. that I've had to pay for, but yes, uh, it was well well worth the uh, the the admission price. Especially good to know. I haven't gone because it's quite good. But, but we are at uh, we are at chaos chaos on F, um, and we are opening this Sunday, July 10th, uh, at 3 p.m. Um, our next show after that would be on the 13th of July at 8:15 p.m. with a 5 to 7 uh, happy hour at Eat the Rich. Um, the 17th, the 20th, the 21st, and the 24th, all various times. We'll link to this in the show notes and all that, too, so people have, like, the permanent, I use air quotes for permanent because it's on the internet, but there will be ones and zeros with all of the information about where to get tickets and when and how to be there. This was really cool, guys. Thank you for, uh, you know, recording with me. Appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, go see the show. Yay. I waved at them because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> I'm not leaving. We're going to stay and finish our meals. Okay. <laughs>